Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley, and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around, and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep, and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Hey guys. So today's guest is Risa weaver Enian. She's the founder and chief planner at Risa James Events. Uh, Risa went to law school after 12 years of um, you know being out in the working world. Apparently she got bored, <laughs> thought she'd go to law school, thinking that she'd get into entertainment law. But after her summer internship, she quickly realized that actually working in a firm was not particularly fun for her. <laughs> and after some time working in legal and quasi-legal positions, uh, her husband's job took them cross-country And it proved to be a sort of inflection point for her where she was able to stop and say, okay, am I going to look for another legal job, which I now know I don't actually like, or am I going to ask myself what I really would like to do? And her answer to that was planning weddings. And it was then that she decided to start her business. So I think it's a really interesting conversation of following your interests Bridging gaps, you know, she'll tell us how she ended up taking a part-time paralegal position to sort of bridge her into her uh, planning as a full-time business. And the end, she also mentions how she has expanded now. Her business is not just wedding planning, but she's added in a product branding photography side because as I think we can all imagine uh, wedding planning can get pretty grueling. And although she loves it, she realizes that it is itself a season of her her life. And she, you know, started asking herself, what what else would she also like to do? And her answer to that was photography. So I think it's um, also a good reminder that, you know, things can be the right answer for a time and that you are capable of figuring out what the next step is when that comes as well. So I think you'll enjoy enjoy her story. And I also wanted to announce that next week I will be doing a free challenge. It is going to be the four steps closer to your dream career challenge. Um, if you are on the email list, you have or about to be uh, receiving an email with with some of the details. But you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was talking about this. And then Sarah and I talked about this on an IG live um, last week about where not to start in this process is diving into, you know, listings on the job boards, that sort of reflect what you already do. (laughs) Um, So what is the alternative to that? This is the alternative to that. This is the first step that you can take to start reframing your thinking and start asking yourself the questions that will lead you to what you actually want to do next, as opposed to what you think you can or should do next. So yeah, it should um, it should be fun and you know the lives. There'll be some short homework, like two to three minutes. It's designed to not take a lot of your time because I know that that is precious. But hopefully, it could just be a a little thing to get you actually taking some steps and putting pen to paper on this. And yeah, I hope I hope it is helpful to people. So I will drop a link in the notes to to sign up to get on that. Or if you have the email, you can do the same there. And yeah. All right, guys, on to the episode. Risa, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I ask everyone at the beginning, uh, what took you to law school in the first place? So there's a short answer and a long answer to that. I will try not to give too (laughs) long of an answer. Um, I think the first thing to understand is that I was was a non-traditional law student. I didn't go to law school until I was 34. So I had been out of school for a while before I decided to go to law school. I didn't really have 
a career. I mean, I had a career, but it wasn't it wasn't a profession. Let's put it that way. I graduated yeah. in um, 1995 with a degree in history, and there wasn't a lot of career support. I don't know that I felt like I had from my college, so I didn't really have a job lined up after college. I just kept working my college job, which was in retail. And Mm -hmm. then eventually I got into the mortgage business. And then from there, I started working for a commercial real estate developer. So I was basically the chief of staff and executive assistant for the CEO of a real estate development company. Mm -hmm. And so I was making a lot of money. I was living a nice life. I was experiencing a lot of really cool things. But I didn't want to be that for the rest of my life. Like that yeah. just didn't feel like what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't know what to do. Um, my boyfriend at the time actually is the one who suggested going to law school. And I had considered law school back in undergrad. I took a couple of classes. One of them was law and economics. And the other one was like the history of the American legal system. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, as a history student, so that made sense. Yeah, I absolutely hated law and economics. Like nothing about that class made any sense to me. Nothing about the way they evaluated um, risk or opportunity or uh, per- perfect outcomes. Like, none of that made any sense to me at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, if this is what yeah. the law is, I want no part of this. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, you know, by the time I got into my 30s. And I was just like, I was bored. Basically, I went to law school because I was bored. And I didn't know what else to do, which is a super weird reason to go. (laughs) I mean, I feel like a lot of people go just, I mean, it's usually earlier, but it's kind of the same thing. You're just like, I don't know, I just haven't thought of something better. So I needed a challenge. I just I just didn't. I've always been the kind of person that I love learning and I never want to stop learning. And I thought, okay, law school is definitely going to be something different. I'll give this a try. So I was living in Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania at the time. And I applied to law schools all over the country, got into a bunch in different geographic regions and decided ultimately after many spreadsheets and a lot of weighing of pros and cons to go to Duke, North Carolina, because the weather's decent. They offered me a scholarship. And I had family in Greensboro, which is not that far away from Durham. It's like an hour from Durham. My dad and um, one of my brothers lived in Greensboro. So I thought, okay, this sort of checks all the boxes. So um, that was how I ended up going to law school and going to Duke. (laughs) So when you when you were applying, did you have a concept of what kind of law you were wanted to practice? Would it have to were you thinking it would sort of connect to this real estate world you'd been in? No. In fact, I left my job in real estate um, about not quite a year before I went to law school. And so I ended up working at a law firm in Pittsburgh, a mid-sized firm. Um, I was working for the, they had a managing partner, but then they had like an executive officer who was a non-lawyer leader of the firm. And so those Mm -hmm. two individuals like ran the firm together. So I was working for the executive officer person. And so I got to sort of see law firm life from the other side, you know, not from the attorney side, but from the the other side, the more, um, not quite support staff side, but like the business side. Yeah, the business side, yeah. Um, And I didn't, I wanted to go into entertainment law only because I have always- (laughs) It's so funny, I just interviewed someone yesterday who said the same thing. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) I've always had a love for Hollywood and I wanted to be a screenwriter for a long time. I've written a bunch of screenplays, nothing that was ever like optioned or made into a movie or anything, but I had some experience in that world. I took some film classes in college and things like that. I took play directing in in college as well because I thought, I almost went to film school like after undergrad. I almost moved to LA and went to film school, but I just, I never pulled the trigger on that. So I thought entertainment law was the route I wanted to go. When I got to law school though, I realized that what I really liked was copyright and trademark law. I really liked intellectual property. Mm -hmm. Um, Less because entertainment law is a lot of contracts and business law. And that wasn't as interesting to me. I was just more interested in the actual IP side of things. So Mm -hmm. when I, once I got through one L year and I was able to actually, you know, choose my classes and do something more interesting, I definitely had an IP focus. I took every 
IP class that Duke offered, except the patent classes, because I don't have an undergrad degree in science, right. and I don't have a master's degree. I, I knew patents weren't the right path for me, so I didn't take any of those classes, but I took every other IP class that Duke offered and um, really immersed myself in it. And I really liked it. I love yeah. learning that stuff. That Those classes were by far my favorite classes. So I thought, okay, this is you know a good choice because I'm enjoying yeah. these classes. Yeah, that's um, a more positive experience than a lot of people have, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you graduated, did you go into I, the IP area? So I, I tried. Um, yeah. I went to law school from 07 to 2010. And we all know what happened between 07 and 2010. Everything yes. melted down. Yep. So my two, so one L year, nobody, like none of the firms were hiring anyone who was, uh, you know, between 1L and 2L year. So I ended up working yeah. at Duke 1L year. They had a, um, a bunch of clinics, legal clinics in the school. And there was one, the low income taxpayer clinic. And we helped low income taxpayers in and around, yeah. you know, the Durham community dealing with problems with the IRS, um, just whatever issues and problems they had, if they were getting audited or if they owed back taxes. And I actually found that really interesting. And I loved the interaction with our clients and they were just so grateful for our help because, yeah. you know, the IRS is scary and yes. when you don't have the background to know how to deal with these bureaucratic morons, it's really hard <laughs> to get yourself out of trouble with the IRS. So our clients yeah. were super grateful. They were always really nice. I was, I, it was a very fulfilling internship my 1L year. Yeah. So then 2L year was the summer of 09. And all the firms had either discontinued their summer programs or cut them way back. So yeah. I had gotten a summer internship offer from a firm in Los Angeles, which because I wanted to move to LA after I graduated because I you know still wanted to get into the entertainment world, but from an IP standpoint. Right. So I had an offer for 2L summer from a mid-sized firm in LA. Originally, it was for 10 weeks, but then it got cut back to six weeks. Like, okay, whatever. It is yeah. what it is. So I went out there and I worked my six weeks and I kind of hated it, to be honest with you. I yeah. I was able to stay with my brother and his wife because they live in LA. And so I was coming home at the end of every day and like, you know, hanging out with my family members. And at least I had them to talk to about this. And at one yeah. point I was talking to my sister-in-law and I was like, well, I'm halfway through, three weeks down, three weeks to go. And she looked at me and she's like, if you're counting down the days and this is only a six-week internship, don't you think that's not a good yeah. thought? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely not a great time. Like, you are 100% correct. So what did, did you just not like the actual work or was it sort of the culture of the firm or both? It was a variety of things. Some of the work I, I didn't like. First of all, they didn't. they had an entertainment law division. Um, but there wasn't a lot of work. So I was doing a lot of general stuff for different mm. departments. And most of it wasn't interesting. The work itself wasn't interesting. The other attorneys were fine. It wasn't like there was a personality clash. But I am not the kind of person that likes to wait until the last minute to do something. If something needs to be done, I'm going to do it right now. And I am not going to wait until five minutes before the deadline. And that is I'm a, not. I'm the, on the other end of that spectrum. That is not the mindset at most firms, and for most attorneys, and maybe for most yeah. people. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm just a super weird outlier in that respect. But it drove me bananas that people yeah. would wait until the last minute and then throw something on your desk and like need yeah. you to work on yeah. it. And I'm just like, pardon my French, but fuck you. Yeah. I've got you know yeah. this is my time. I've got other things to do rather than jump at your beck and call. And I think part of this might have been my age. Because again, I was like right. 35 at this point. I'm not a 23-year-old kid. I've been, right. I've been out in the real world. I've had jobs. I know how shit is supposed to work. And this is not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> right. And to some extent, it's just disrespectful to, to, to not exactly. care, not care at all about somebody's you know, schedule and just say, you know, 
they'll just jump whenever I tell them to. So what do I, why would I bother to like adjust around that? Exactly. And I yeah. knew I could tell based on my experience and talking to my other classmates that that is just how firm life works. And yeah. I was like, yeah, this is not a good fit for me. I, this is not, yeah. this is not what I want to do. So yeah. at the end of 2L summer, um, the firm made me an offer, but it was for general litigation because they didn't have anything in the areas that I wanted. And I yeah. thought long and hard about it. I talked to my boyfriend. I'm My husband now was my yeah. boyfriend in law school. We met in law school. We went to Duke together. And so he's been, I'm going to talk about him a lot because he's had a yeah. lot of influence on what I've done since law school. But I talked to him about it and he could tell, you know, that I wasn't happy with that job. And he's like, yeah. why would you take something that is going to make you miserable? I'm like, I don't know the money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and he's like, is that really what you want to do? I'm like, no, no, it's not. So I turned them down. And every time in the years since then that I have second guessed that decision, my husband just says the same thing to me. You would have been miserable. And I'm like, yes, yeah. I know you're right. Oh, I don't yeah. know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's a real testament to your age though, because I think I think when people go straight through, they may sort of have that realization, but not the wherewithal to actually act on it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. It definitely can be hard to make the right decision for your future self sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So <laughs> when I graduated in 2010, I had no job. Um, and that was scary. I planned to take the California bar because I still wanted to move to California and yeah. my husband was in environmental law. He always wanted to do nonprofit environmental law from the beginning. That was why he went to law school. He has a master's degree in environmental science. That was his area. And so yeah. he ended up getting a fellowship at UCLA. And so at the law school at UCLA, mm -hmm. it was a policy fellowship. So we took the California bar. We both passed, thank God. And we moved to Los Angeles together, even though I didn't have a job. We figured, whatever, I'll find one when we get there. Yeah. So I looked for jobs. I applied for so many jobs, so many you know, IP-related jobs, law-related jobs. I just didn't want to work at a firm. It wasn't that I didn't want to do law. I just really didn't want to work at a firm. But mm -hmm. I could not get anyone to give me the time of day. I mean, it was still 2010. You know, there was right. still hiring market just everywhere was still really bad. So- yeah. I ended up getting a job also at UCLA in the facilities management department doing, this is going to sound so boring. Every time I say it, I want to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> Environmental regulatory compliance. So mm. most people know that California has a lot of environmental regulations. And yeah. because UCLA is such an enormous campus, it's 400 acres carved out of Los Angeles, West Los Angeles. It is its own city, more or less. Yeah. It generates yeah. its own power. It has its own police. It has its own fire. It has its own emergency management. It has everything that a city would have, UCLA has. And yeah. so they are responsible for complying with a slew of environmental regulations covering you know, energy, power, air, water, natural gas, everything that's on campus. There's a lot of infrastructure yeah. on campus. And so mm -hmm. the department compliance with regulations was not great. Like the UC system as a whole was yeah. out of compliance with most of these things. And one of them, I think it was Berkeley, had been fined some outrageous amount of money in the like previous couple of years. And so UC was really bringing a focus to this. And so I was hired to straighten out their whole regulatory compliance area, even though this had nothing to do with IP. <laughs> right, right. Well, I guess at some point you could just go, I just need something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I ended up taking that job and it was fine. And I certainly learned a lot of really new, weird, esoteric things about environmental regulations. Um, yeah. But again, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Right. So then after a couple of years, three years at UCLA, um, my husband got a clerkship in D.C., and so we're in LA. We'd, we've been together for years now. We still weren't married. He's now going to move to DC for this clerkship. And yeah. so he ended up proposing and we got married in LA before we moved to DC because I didn't want to do long distance cross country for the year long clerkship. I was just like, that's, that's too much. I can't yeah. handle that. Let's just move to DC together. But of course, I'm not licensed in DC and you know, neither is he, but he was doing right. the clerkship. So it didn't matter.
So we moved to DC and this was now 2013. Of course, I had to leave my job at UCLA. I started looking for jobs in DC. In order to work for the federal government, you don't have to have a license in DC. You just have to be licensed anywhere. And I'm like, okay, fine. Well, I'm licensed in California, so that's fine. So I applied for mostly government jobs. Nothing. Crickets. Couldn't get anybody to pay any attention to me because I assume I didn't check all of their boxes. Like I'm really hard to compartmentalize because I went to undergrad, then I had this 12 year career. Then I went to law school. I studied IP, but I was working in environmental regulatory compliance. I didn't have some sort of coherent narrative story that I could say, oh, I've done this, 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 this. And these things are all the same and they all tie together. And these are all the reasons why this job is the perfect fit for me. And, right. you know, bureaucrats don't know how to think. Yeah, they're, they're not very imaginative on interpreting. <laughs> I, mean, I swear to God, I'm pretty sure most of the hiring is done by algorithms. And it's like algorithms don't know how to think. I mean, I think it, I think it literally is in the government. I, I grew up in D.C. and have a lot of friends and family who have worked for the government. And I, I think it it is it is it's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky yeah. to get the right jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just I was unemployed. My husband was doing his clerkship. We're living in D.C., I was frustrated and my husband was like, well, you don't really like being in the law anyway. He's like, what do you like? And I'm like, well, I would love to be a wedding planner. Like that sounds really interesting and fun to me. I'm super detail oriented. I love weddings. I've always loved weddings. I was always the person in my friends and family circle that people went to for advice and etiquette and, you know, what should they do about this? Because they know that I love weddings and I basically studied weddings in my free time for like decades. So he's like, well, why don't you get an event planning job somewhere? I'm like, okay, well, I mean, look for an event planning job. I've never looked for one of those. So I started looking for event planning jobs with nonprofits and, you know, other things. I mean, DC has a ton of nonprofit activity. However, they all wanted three to five years of event planning experience. (laughs) Right. Oh my God, you guys are killing me. (laughs) Yeah. So finally, I was just like, you know what? To hell with everybody. I'm going to start my own wedding planning company. And I'm just going to do this because I think I can. So I reached out to a bunch of local wedding planners in and around DC to see if anyone was interested in bringing me on as like an assistant or an intern or something. I just figured it would be smart to work with or for somebody else first, just to get a feel for it. Because I had planned my own wedding and I'd help my friends and family plan their weddings, but I'd never done it as a job. Right, right. So reached out to a bunch of people. Only one of them got back to me, but I met with them. It was a two woman team and they had been doing weddings for like 20, 25 years. They'd been doing it for a long time. So they brought me on as sort of an intern and I worked for them for about nine months. And it was great. It was, it was so great. It was so fun. I was like, yeah, this, this is great. I really like this. I can definitely do this. This makes me feel like I'm doing something that I love and something that's useful. I mean, it sounds stupid because it's just, it's quote unquote, just weddings, but you know what? The wedding day is the most important day of most people's lives. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's so important that like, it's not, you know, what, what is actually the work that's going to light you up doesn't necessarily have to meet some external, like, validated, like, importance level, right? Like, that's not what makes, you know, like, you can have a job that's like, you know, saving the world in some capacity and hate going, (laughs) going to work every day, right? It's like, I don't think that's the standard. It's like, do you light up when you go and do it? Is the I want my job to make me happy, not to make me sad and crushed. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so simple, yet so many yeah. of us don't. <laughs> but it's also so, a great example of, of of the idea that you would just reach out to people and just put yourself out there to get that experience, um, I think is a great lesson too, because I you know, yeah, it takes a little a little chutzpah to put yourself out there, but then you get that feedback and that learning. Yeah. And I was really grateful for those, those women who took me on and, you know, let me, I helped them with some weddings. I helped them with some bar and bat mitzvahs and, you know, just sat in on meetings and I went to client meetings with them and vendor meetings. So I really got a feel of all aspects of trying to plan a wedding as, as hired help more or less. Yeah. So I thought, okay, great. I can totally do this moving forward. 
then I started thinking, you know, all the steps to starting a business. I came up with a name. I secured my domain name. I got an email address. I got a Squarespace website. I started designing my website using one of the Squarespace templates. I um, got a storefront on WeddingWire because most, a lot of couples, when they're looking for vendors, they go to the Knot and WeddingWire. Those are the two biggest vendor profile platforms on the internet. And so I advertised with WeddingWire because it was a lot cheaper than the Knot. And I was doing this on like a shoestring. I had been unemployed. Right, right. Yeah. Um, And my husband was working as a federal clerk, but, you know, not making a ton of money. And we live in this city, which is a very expensive city. So I'm trying to do this without spending, you know, any money at all. So WeddingWire was like my biggest expense. Yeah. And I just, I launched it. But what's funny is right around the time I was launching, a job in the legal industry fell into my lap because my husband's clerkship had ended and he had gotten a job with a boutique law firm in DC that did um, a lot of environmental and water rights cases, Mm -hmm. basically suing the government on behalf of plaintiffs. They were a plaintiff's firm suing the government. And my husband had clerked in the court of federal claims, which is where, you know, cases go when people are suing the government. So he had experience in that area. So anyway, the people who owned the firm he worked for had some friends who had their own boutique law firm doing, wait for it, copyright and trademark law. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. (laughs) So I'm still not licensed in D.C. My California license is still valid. I'm not licensed in D.C., but this firm actually needed a paralegal and they needed somebody to work 30 hours a week. And I'm like, okay, well, since they, you know, have this yeah. job and they my my husband's boss has referred me to them. They wanted to hire me. I'm like, I can do both. I can work 30 hours a week as a paralegal and start my wedding business. Yeah. So what I did. So I mostly I worked nine to three every day. I would then come home in the afternoon and deal with all the wedding stuff, like replying to emails and writing blog posts and working on my website and just right. doing all the stuff that comes with running a business. So I did that for the first year and a half that I ran my business. I, I did both jobs. And as I started getting wedding clients, some people were interested in what's known as full service planning, where the planner is like, hand-holding you through the entire planning process and doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you. I couldn't Mm -hmm. offer that because I didn't have the time for that because I was working 30 hours a week at the law firm. So I just offered coordination where the clients would do all the planning on their own and then I would get involved like two months-ish before their wedding and do their timeline and, you know, help them tie all the loose ends together and then be there on their wedding day to manage their wedding day. So I had, you know, I got a fair number of clients in the, that first year and a half in DC and really started can, to... Can I ask how you got, because I, I feel like some people might be thinking, oh, I mean, that sounds cool and fun, but like, how, wh- where do you, where do you find people? <laughs> WeddingWire was super helpful. Yeah. Most of my, all my first few clients found me on WeddingWire and then I did end up getting some referrals. So like I did one wedding and a guest at that wedding got my business card, like came up to me at the wedding and got my business card. And then she hired me for her wedding, which was later that summer. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And then I had a wedding where two sisters were both engaged and the, the one sister hired me for her wedding. And by the time that wedding was over, her parents had already secured my services for the sister's wedding, which again was later that year. And then those parents later referred me to one of their friends whose daughter was getting married the following year. So like those three weddings right there were just all word of mouth from saw my work and liked it. Yeah. It sort of just takes on a natural life of its own at some point. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, the wedding business is very, um, it's very word of mouth based. Once you get to know the community, it's a, every city has a pretty nice, t- tight knit com- community and like yeah. all the vendors know each other. So I was just starting to sort of get that in DC when my husband and I decided we wanted to move back to California. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Things so, are going too smoothly and easily. This is working yeah. out. Let's, mi- so, let's mix it up. <laughs> it was 2016. It was fall of 2016. 
he who shall not be named had just been. Yeah, I was going to say DC changed a lot then. I was like, <laughs> we've got to get out of here. I I just can't. I cannot live here. So yeah. my husband wanted to leave his firm anyway because there because it was a small boutique firm. There wasn't a lot of room for advancement. There was really nowhere for him to to yeah. go at the firm, and he wanted to get back into the nonprofit world. Uh, so he started applying for jobs in California, all over the place. In the end, he ended up taking a job in Sacramento. So we now live in Sacramento and he works for the state of California. He works for one of the regulatory agencies that makes all those regulations that right. I used to have to work <laughs> on back at UCLA. So yeah. Yeah. Come full circle. So again, wedding wire came in super handy because I had to transition my business from the DC market to the Sacramento right. market. Right. And I was able to just email wedding wire and be like, Hey, start showing me to Sacramento clients instead of DC clients. So I actually started getting inquiries from Sacramento clients before I was even physically in Sacramento, which was super great. I booked my first client for Sacramento, literally the week we got here, we were house hunting and we were going to open houses and stuff like that. And I'm on the phone with a client in the car on our way to the open house, like booking a wedding. Wow. (laughs) So things happened really quickly when I got out here. Um, Yeah. I also decided to go full time with my business when we moved here because I, I was like, okay, I'm not going to get a day job. I'm not going to get a quote unquote real job. I'm going to make this wedding business my real job. This is going to be what I do. So that and I assume you had no, you had like no like problems kind of abandoning the the law part at that point. I really didn't. Um, For like a hot second, I thought about it, and I was like, "Hmm, "Am I am I giving up too soon?" You know, I put in those three years in law school. I passed the bar. I did all that work. Is it all for nothing? are my parents going to be disappointed that I'm not a lawyer, that I'm quote unquote, just a wedding planner. But I was like, yeah, fine. they don't, <laughs> they don't really right, care. Right. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. And I'll be honest, if I didn't have my law degree, I don't think I ever would have had the confidence to start my own business because yeah. again, there's just a lot of stuff that comes into, you know, owning your own business. At one point I did form an LLC. I mm-hmm. I did that after we moved to California and like, I didn't have to hire an attorney to form an LLC or to fill out any of that paperwork. I just did it myself. I didn't have to yeah. hire an attorney to draft my contract that I have on my clients sign. I did it myself. You know, I right. can do a lot of that stuff myself because I do have the training and it's just, my law background gave me the ability to reason through things and assess risk in a way that I didn't have before I went to law school. It's yeah. It's not a direct skill, it's just sort of a mindset that you have once you've been through law school. It does definitely change the way you think and evaluate situations. And so just that alone yeah. makes it feel like it was worthwhile going to law school even though let's not talk about the debt that I still have. Um yeah, it was that's... worth it because I got a lot of like I got a lot of educational opportunity out of it, and it has allowed me to start not one but now two businesses, which I know we haven't really talked about yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and at, at some point, it's like I, I talk a lot about sort of the sunk cost of it. Is at at that point, the debt is there one way or the other. Like you, you can't go back in time and make a different decision. Exactly. So then, are do you just sort of? stay the course because of that, especially when you have something that you love. And I, it's interesting because I think a lot of lawyers are, we're risk averse people. Like we've, (laughs) we've been taught how to see all these risks. And so, so leaving practice to go do something, which is relatively risky, which is starting a business somehow seems undoable. Yet it is the fact that you have that training that really makes you well positioned to run a business on your own. (laughs) It does. And I will be 100% honest with you and everybody listening. I could not have done what I did without the support of my husband. And I I don't just mean like emotional support. I mean, financial support. Because I, there were long stretches where I didn't make any money or I was making very, very little money. And even now, even though my business has been, I've 
I've been a wedding planner for more than six years. It's very established. I have a lot of clients here in Sacramento. I'm on some preferred vendors lists. I'm, you know, I have more inquiries than I can possibly take on in any given year. My business is doing very well, but there's still sort of an upper limit to what you can charge someone to plan their wedding. It's not something that you go into to make a lot of money. It's never going to make me wealthy. (laughs) So if it weren't for my husband and his job and his income and his support, there's no way I could do what I'm doing. I'd, I'd, I'd be living on a shoestring. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to sort of have that, that reality of, of what certain different businesses, what those business models really mean for people. Yeah, exactly. Not everybody who goes into business, you know, is inventing the next app that's going to be sold for a billion dollars to Microsoft or right. (laughs) Well, what I was thinking about this, like, when you, when you said sort of entrepreneur, when people would talk about entrepreneurs, that's where my brain would go. And yeah. I'd be like, you know, and I feel like, you know, probably I was in New York for many years and in that environment and in, in sort of Silicon Valley and, and the Bay Area, it's kind of like, there's almost like a little like turning your nose up at just a lifestyle business. But it's like, it's okay if it you're just happy doing that though. <laughs> it doesn't have to be the, you know, unicorn business that, you know, gets, you know, 10 X its revenue or whatever the investments, you know, I think, I think you just, it's part of asking yourself, what do you, what do you want from that career? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny yeah. because every time I'm around other attorneys, whether it's like, a, you know, law school reunion or, colleagues of my husband's, you know, before COVID when we used to actually be able to go to happy hours, (laughs) people would find out that I used to be a lawyer and I'm now a wedding planner. And their response is almost always the same. It's like, wow, good for you for getting out and doing what you love. (laughs) It's like an undertone of jealousy. Like, "Hmm, why can't I do that? (laughs) Right, right. And I mean, I talk about this all the time. I'm like, you can, people, you can. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, you got to find what you want to do. I mean, it, it, wedding planning was sort of a natural fit for me. And then, so once we got to Sacramento, you know, doing my business full time, doing weddings, it's great. And I love it. And I still love it. I, I love what I do. But I just turned 48. You know, I'm like pushing 50. And being a yeah. wedding planner is very physically demanding. It's, yeah. At the end of a wedding day, I am dog tired. Like I literally do nothing the day after a wedding because we call it the wedding hangover because it is like being hungover. You're so tired. You're kind of sick to your stomach. You got a headache. You just feel like you're going to die because the day of a wedding is just, it's so stressful. It's a lot of physicality, a lot of moving around and standing and walking and lifting things and moving things and just like, you're just doing so much. And so A year or so ago, I started thinking about an exit strategy. I was like, okay, I can't do this forever as much as I like it. I will probably always do weddings in some way, shape, or form, but I'm going to have to do fewer of them because I yeah. just, you know, need more <laughs> recovery time. Yeah. And so I started a photography business because photography is something else that I love. I just take yeah. what I love and I turn it into a business. Exactly. <laughs> I... I have some friends, a law school friend, actually, who has a rum brand. He and a friend of his import rum from Jamaica. It's distilled in Jamaica. They bring it to Kentucky and they barrel age it in Kentucky um, because they're both from Louisville, which, of course, is the epicenter of bourbon in America. And so when they launched their brand, they needed photos like they needed social media content and stuff for their website. And so my friend Jordan knew that I was into photography and I've always taken pictures of drinks and food and stuff like that. So he's like, Hey, can you make some cocktails with this rum and take some pictures for us? And I did. And they used them. And I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty cool. I I really enjoy this. So that was like a year and a half ago. And since then I have now launched a whole new business. My events company is Risa James Events, and my photography company is Risa James Photography. I've got a website. I've got a separate Instagram handle. I've got a bunch of clients. So I work mainly with spirits companies and wineries. I do Mm -hmm. have one non-drinkable client. (laughs) They make make bath products infused with CBD. So I I work with all these brands. They send me their product. 
in California, I'm fortunate enough to live in a state where I can have spirits shipped to me. So mm-hmm. companies from actually all over the world, I've gotten gin from Brazil, I've gotten cognac from France, I've gotten gin from Italy. <laughs> I get wow. spirits shipped to me and then I make cocktails and take pictures and then license the photos back to the brands to use. And again, because I have an IP background, I know how right. to write a licensing agreement. <laughs> right, right. Wow. I mean, that and sort of what a cool little niche that you sort of accidentally fell into, it sounds yes. like. Yeah. yeah, I intended to go into like food and product photography and the cocktail niche just sort of found me. And yeah. so that's what I do. And I, I hate saying this because this word carries so much baggage, but I am an influencer. <laughs> right, right. Like people, I post things to my Instagram and talk about these products and then people want to buy them and you know we sort of laugh about it because it's kind of a joke but it is it is true I I am an influencer I do influence people to buy things that I have used and made cocktails with and I mean it's crazy it's it's like who would have thought this was a thing that you could get paid for (laughs) right well and this is the sort of Something I see happen a lot, but people don't believe it will happen for them is that you kind of just have to get on a road and you don't know where it's going to take you. And it ta- it often does take you to these things that you didn't know were jobs or certainly not things that you would have thought you could do. But you wouldn't have ended up there if you hadn't sort of started exploring, you know, everything that back when you just initially started to do the wedding stuff, you know, it's like, it's just, you have to give things an opportunity to present themselves to you. Absolutely. And I'm fortunate that I have, like I said, the support of my husband where I've been able to do that. I've had a lot of leeway to just sort of let things unfold and let things happen and let people find me. I haven't had to hustle or, you know, bust my ass to find clients. I can just sort of let it happen organically, which I am fully aware of and very thankful for. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's still, you know, I'm sure it's a lot that goes into running two businesses. What are the sort of, what are the the biggest challenges? You know, like if someone's like, Oh, that sounds cool. What, What are the sort of pros and cons of, of it for you? I guess time management is huge because I am trying to run two businesses and they are all, they're both constantly making demands on me. And so it's just, it's always a balancing act. Like, okay, this photography client needs these photos and I need to edit these, but this wedding client's wedding is, you know, three days from now and they need something too. And so they're higher priority right now because their need is greater. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's a lot of balancing and managing your time and the fact that I am just so attentive to the details is what made me a you know good attorney, but also makes me a good wedding planner. Yeah. And the fact that I had corporate experience before I started my businesses is also very helpful. I yeah. deal with a lot of other small business owners. Most of us are solopreneurs. We work by ourselves, or maybe we have like one or two people on our team. Yeah. And I can always tell which business owners have never had a quote unquote real job, have never worked in an office and have no corporate background because they just don't have the sort of communication skills that working mm-hmm. a corporate background gives you. I can't yeah. tell you how many people I've gotten emails from, business emails, from their quote-unquote business email address, their email signature has no contact information, no title, no no company name. Like there's yeah, literally yeah. no information in their email signature. And I'm like, you are doing this all wrong. People who don't, <laughs> people who don't reply in a timely manner to emails. You know, when I have to follow up with you three times to get a yeah. reply from you, you're doing this wrong. Like this is right. not how you run a business. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So part of that sort of type A lawyer brain definitely s- serves you well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think anybody who wants to start their own business, you know, if you have any sort of corporate or law background at all, you're going to be ahead of the game just because you you have this experience of being a professional in a professional job in a professional environment and carrying yourself 
as a professional. Yeah. You know, yeah. I am in two very creative businesses, wedding planning and photography, yeah. but I don't consider myself a creative person. I consider myself, like you said, type A. I'm, I'm not... I'm not a loosey-goosey, free thinker, you know, la-di-da, by the seat of my pants. Like, everything yeah. I do is well thought out, and I put a lot of time, energy, effort, thought into everything I do, including how I run my businesses. And right. I think the fact that I've had a lot of wedding clients refer me to their friends, I've had photography clients refer me to their friends, the fact that both of my businesses are highly dependent on referrals and that I get those referrals says yeah. a lot about how well I run my business. People like to work with me and they want to keep working with me. And I right. think that is largely a function of my background, including my time in law school, including my yeah. time in corporate America. All of it comes together. Like right. everything you do has a purpose. It sounds a little new agey, but I yeah. just, I feel like whatever you do, don't think of it as a waste of time, even if you're not going to do it anymore. Like if you're a lawyer and you want to do something else, don't feel like everything you've done in the past was a waste of your time. It wasn't. It got you yeah. to where you are now. It made you who you are now. And you're going to take that with you and you're going to apply it to whatever it is you do next. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what, what you were sort of talking about, you know, being a quote unquote creative. And the truth is that you're not, you're not either a creative or a business sort of minded type a person. Those things can coexist in the same person. And, and, you know, when you, when you have that, it's sort of, you know, I'm sure there is a lot of creativity in your job, but there, there's also all the business stuff that you bring that side of you to. Yeah. The most creative person in the world who doesn't have any business sense, will never make any money because they'll never have any clients. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but it's sort of a nice marriage of the two, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I want to wrap up, but just, I mean, you just sort of gave a great little bit of advice. But if someone were, you know, sort of sitting around being a little miserable in their, their legal job and thinking about leaving, is there is there something that you'd sort of advise them? I know it can be hard because having law jobs, especially at firms, tend to take all of your time and all of your mental energy. But if there's something that you think you might like to do better than what you're currently doing, you have to find a way to experiment with it. Like you have to find some time to devote to that thing to make sure it's something that you really want to do. Kind of like how I was working yes. at the law firm in DC and doing my business on the side. There yep. are so many entrepreneurs, small business owners, solopreneurs, whatever you want to call them. So, so, so many of them start with a side hustle or a side yep. gig, whatever you want to call it. Almost everyone starts doing what they love on the side of their day job. And then yep. eventually transitions out of their day job to running their business full time. It is so common. That yep. is, it's a really great way to do it, especially if you don't have the financial freedom to just quit your day job one right. day out of the blue and launch a business the next day, um, yeah. which most people don't have that kind of financial freedom. Right, um, right. So yeah, and you, you kind of want to see if you actually like it. Yeah, you've just got to find a way to carve some time out of your current life. And I know it sounds... Yeah ridiculous because some people are just like, I'm working 20 hours a day. Like I don't even right. have time to sleep or eat, let alone do anything different. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, for those people, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe taking a sabbatical if you have an option to do that, you know, just take a leave of absence to pursue yeah. something else and find out if it's something that you could really love and, yeah. and then pursue it. Yeah. I think, I think that's great advice. People uh, do fight me on that. about <laughs> I have no time. And I yeah. always say, well, then you can stay where you are. <laughs> that's, that's really just the, the trade off is, is you either create that space for yourself or you, you get stuck where you were. So I think that is excellent yeah. advice. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to get creative, you know, like yes. if you're working five days a week, maybe you find a way to work four days a week instead, or, you know, you find a way to cut back your hours somehow. And maybe you have to yeah. take a pay cut to do that. But right. If you're, if you're really unhappy with what you're doing and you want to do something else, 
you can't just keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're just going to yeah. keep being unhappy. Like you have to, you have to do something. <laughs> so I know. I know. Think creatively and just be willing to take a pay cut. I mean, I took a huge pay cut when I left the real estate company and went to work at the law firm before I went to law school. I took like a right. 50% pay cut. It was a yeah. big difference, but I thought it would be helpful to work at a law firm before I went to law school. Yeah. Funny story. Every single lawyer at the law firm was like, oh God, don't go to law school. That's I was actually going to say, I was like, yeah, and you still managed to go to law school, which is interesting. <laughs> because once you say, like for me, once I decide I to do something, it's really hard for me to like not go forward and do it. Like once I had yeah. decided to go to law school, I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're on this path. Let's just keep yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. And it all worked out. <laughs> it did. In the end, I mean, it took me a yeah. long time to get to where I am. And yeah. like I've alluded to earlier, I mean, I still have a boatload of student loans. I'm in the income-based repayment plan, mm -hmm. but yep. I will I will almost certainly be eligible for Social Security before my student loans are eligible to be forgiveness, forgiven under the income-based repayment because I went to law school so late. Think about yeah. that for a minute. Yeah. That That's is just, I mean, that in a sentence, encapsulates well, what yeah. is wrong with higher education and student loans in America. The fact that I will be yes. eligible for social security before my student loans are forgiven or paid off. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it is a very real, very real issue for people. Um, but it's also an example of, well, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not necessarily a death sentence of having to spend your life in this place that you hate. True. True. So yeah, a lot of people do feel shackled by their student loans and I yeah. understand that, but I mean, the income-based repayment program is a great program. Anybody yes. who doesn't know about it or, you know, is unfamiliar with it, it's a yeah. little convoluted like all government programs, but a little bit of research, you can definitely yeah. learn about actually, it. I just had someone on the podcast who was like an expert in it talking about it. So if you're listening and you don't know what we're talking about, go look for an episode a few back from here. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's the only way I can even sort of live with my student loans, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Risa, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun to chat with you and hear about your journey. And it sounds like, I mean, it just sounds like a lot of fun what you do. <laughs> it is. I, you know what? I'm very lucky. I love what I do. I love the people I get to work with. I, I make a difference in people's lives. I mean, at yeah. the end of the wedding day, my clients are just so happy. They're like, wow, I, I don't know what we would have done without you. You made this yeah. day amazing. Yeah. And like that Aww. just, feel, it's like those clients at the, at the low income taxpayer clinic. They were, yeah. they were so grateful for our help. And my wedding clients are the same way because they get to enjoy their wedding day and they're grateful to me. And I just, it's very fulfilling to be the person that makes yeah. somebody's day the best it can possibly be. And I love it. I love what I do. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I it just I I get really energized when I talk to people who so clearly sort of love what they do and I I just love to share those stories with people as beacons of hope. <laughs> yeah, there's there is light at the end of the tunnel yeah. like if you can yeah. get, if you can get to the other side of the tunnel and do what you love, yeah. it's a great feeling. It's a great place to yeah. be. Yeah. All right, well thanks again, Risa. Thank you.